Now entering the Bitcoin Podcast Network. across y'all's podcast i don't even know how but stumbled across that and found out about y'all slack channel then i got to the on ramp and you know i went back onto your uh, website and listened to all the old episodes and like i said you a lot of my questions were answered i honestly at the time now i really don't remember all those questions i had you know but i just know that i got a lot of information and things i had in my mind you know that were answered at the time um, oh, I still have tons of questions. <laughs> oh yeah. I, I mean, I mean, I, I don't know. That's the crazy thing. It's like I, I feel like I have an understanding of it, but at the same time, I have no idea what's going on. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's that's kind of commonplace. Uh, you're gonna find that happen over and over and over yeah. again with this industry because it's kind of like it's growing and it's new and um, you know. With, Every time somebody figures out how to do something, mm-hmm. it it adds this layer of complexity. And every time somebody tries something new, it adds another layer of complexity. So, um, I'm glad you found our show, and right. you found uh, my show helped you answer some of those questions. You know, so that that definitely helps. What, um. What were some of the questions that you had? Like, you just didn't know how to buy it, how to store it, how to... I mean, literally all the above. Like, buy it, because I read something on Reddit, you know, a while back when I first started doing the little studying about it, and they were saying that, you know, with this whole crypto cryptography world and all these, you know, hackers in the world and stuff, they said, they suggested that you start your own... I mean, start a different social media account that's not tied to you, to your personal identity, and then, you know, just stuff like that. And I was like, well, maybe I need to be anonymous when doing all this stuff. So I didn't want to use Coinbase to make get my Bitcoin. So the only little bit of Bitcoin I've got, I got from um, local Bitcoins by doing just like a cash deposit. 
which mm. I thought was pretty cool. But now I'm kind of seeing and reading stuff where it's like, eh, it's not that bad, you know, if you go to like Coinbase and, you know, and there's like debit cards available. And like, I didn't know about the taxes, how all that works. And, you know, I'm still kind of iffy on all of that because I haven't actually used Coinbase yet. Yeah, taxes, is a, it's a capital gains thing. Um, but I did just okay. find an amazing website uh, called Bitcoin.tax where okay. you can take, you can export all your transactions from Coinbase. It's a feature mm-hmm. that Coinbase offers. Uh, you basically mm-hmm. sign up for an export. You wait like an hour while they get the data and then they give mm-hmm. you an export of all of your inputs and outputs. And then you upload that export to Bitcoin.tax and then they'll tell you how much you owe in taxes and like what forms to fill out and how to fill it out and everything. And you just do that, what, like once a year when it's tax time? or yep, right when it's tax season, just so you know. Like it's better to do it now than to do it later, you know, because if you do it later, then Uncle Sam's going to say, well, like, by the way, you know, you've got late fees. So Now, when it comes to the taxes, is it's only, and I heard this on your uh, episodes, only when you take your money out of Coinbase into cash, like to send it back to my bank account? Yeah, so that would be considered selling, right? So that'd be it'd be the same as if you had like I don't know twenty shares of Facebook when it was thirty bucks. Then it goes up. You got six thousand bucks all of a sudden. Oh wait, twenty six hundred. It goes up. You got six thousand bucks and you sell it. It went up from six hundred to six thousand. So you take that gain in there. That what is that five thousand? Uh, 940 bucks and 20% of that is capital gains tax. Okay, got that. Now, what about if I go on Coinbase and buy some Bitcoin? So, so buying so Bitcoin, on- a, that's no problem. And if you sell it, it and it's at a lower rate, then you actually can claim it as a capital loss and it brings down your taxable income. Right. So now, okay, I think I'm pretty clear on that part. Now, what if I'm Buy coin, uh, go on Coinbase. I buy Bitcoin, and then I send the Bitcoin I buy to a different wallet or something. Can I? Can you do that? And then, yeah, there's no problem there. Like, like say I, I send it to a just, wallet and I'm trading on some kind of exchange. Yeah, as long as it stays in crypto, you don't have to pay any taxes. But I did make a misstep. I don't think you can claim losses against your mm-hmm. income. I think you just claim it as a loss and don't pay taxes. Okay. Um, okay, but. but- Go ahead. So, so okay, okay. I don't even know if this is possible. So, say I buy some Bitcoin on Coinbase. Mm-hmm. I transferred from the Coinbase account to a, say I got a Jack's wallet, mm-hmm. and then somehow I'm trading Bitcoin somewhere. I make some money, but instead of sending the money that I make back to Coinbase, what if I find some other way to withdraw that? It, you know what I'm saying? Like, what if it doesn't come back to Coinbase? Yeah, I mean, there's a gray area there. That'd be the honesty policy right there. That'd be the, hey, government, I did make some money on the side, and this is how I did it. Um, But once again, if it never leaves crypto, then you never pay taxes, because right now it's considered a commodity. So Uh since it's a commodity, if it stays as a commodity, you don't pay taxes until you basically cash out, if you cash out. 
Right. But see, in my mind, and that's another thing, like in my mind, I my look on Bitcoin is I don't really fully have a grasp on it, but it seems to me like this is going to be what you're going to need in the future. Maybe five, 10, 20 years from now, you're going to need Bitcoin. So I just want to get it now. Mm-hmm. So that's like my whole thing. And then, yeah, I w- would like to trade to like make money and get more Bitcoin. But you know, I'm still working my way through that part. But when I was talking about the wallets, I do have a question on different like mobile wallets. And I understand those aren't the most secure ways to hold your Bitcoin. But on the different mobile wallets, like what's a good secure mobile wallet? Jax is pretty good. Okay. I mean, then I mean they're pretty. I mean, long as I have my private key, I'm I'm yep. pretty as good long on those. As you stored your private key securely, and you have your recovery um, phrase, you're good to go. Uh-huh. Um, it's a very good mobile wallet. Airbits is also a great mobile wallet. Probably the most secure. Uh, they practice Airbits. the thing. Yeah, Airbits. They practice oh. a thing called edge security, um, which I do believe Jack's kind of adopted as well. And it's mm-hmm. just that they never hold any of your personal information. Every single login is like a, it's a secured from whatever device you're using. So instead of like okay. traditionally, you know, servers house everyone's information and you get access to the server, theirs is different. There's Edge security. So. Okay. All right. Now, because um, I've also used one called blockchain. Yeah. Is that? It's pretty secure when you go through all of their like loops. But I I reserve blockchain for like kind of like an advanced user because it can be a bit much. They have these things called like wallet IDs, and then they have secondary passwords. So you have one password to do stuff and then when you send money somewhere you have actually you have to put in two passwords so Uh it's that extra layer of security the reason why i say it's for advanced users because um that's more stuff that you have to remember Uh uh-huh so that's that's a security pain point is just kind of remembering passcodes and remembering keys is what they are so um Blockchain.info is a great wallet, don't get me wrong. And they're integrated into a lot of services already, which makes using it really easy. For instance, um, if you've ever used, what's that app? There's an app where you can buy gift cards with Bitcoin. I think it's called Gift, G-Y-F-T. And Uh they're integrated with Blockchain.info. So when you buy a gift card, you say pay with Bitcoin. It just instantly opens up your blockchain wallet and creates the transaction and then all you really have to do is push send. So Okay. So I mean, go ahead. No, I mean I was just, you know, still going about the um man, the wallets and the security and like like what's this I've heard of a lot of people's talk and seen a lot of people talk about multi sig wallets. Multi, mm-hmm. I guess like multi-signature right yep and i'm not quite sure how that works or how you set those up or oh okay so different different wall services have multi-sig coinbase has a multi-sig wallet but it's a vault 
and you typically want to use multi-sig. Um, not typically, I say it is typically used as like sort of a savings account because you have to have multiple private keys to sign one transaction. Okay. Right, so, so that's what the thing. The thing about knowing your private key or not knowing it, but knowing where it is and knowing, you know, that you're the only person that has access to it, is because it allows you to sign a transaction and send it out. Mm-hmm. Right, because you can't you can't send money out of an address without the private key, which right. basically gives you the power over the address. Right, like you can you can you could broadcast your public address, but all that does is give people access to put money into. They can't mm-hmm. take money out or push money out. So multi sig means that you essentially got two private keys to push the money out. So it's an added level of security. You know, say for instance, if you had three of four uh, multi-sig on a wallet, so you would need a key. Your bank, I'm gonna put that in quotations. Bank uh-huh. would need a key, and maybe your wife would need a uh-huh. key. And you guys say, okay, we're gonna buy this thing for the house. It's like a thousand dollar gazebo set. You say, hey, you're gonna buy this set. So you, your wife would have to say yes in email. You'd have to say yes in email, and then the bank, of course, would say yes because they're the bank. So, boom. Once yeah. those three of four signatures are gathered, then the transaction would take place. Okay. Gotcha. So that, that, that's it. And, like, you can have – I think most people do two of three. There's three of four. Um, but there's really cool things that could be built on there, like – um you know, like allowance if you got kids mm-hmm. and like both parents have to agree that they get their allowance that week. Right. Or if a kid has a wallet and you you let your kid go to the mall and they want to buy like 30,000 video games, but you see the transaction go through and you're like, yeah, no, I'm not signing that. You're not going to go waste your money on all those games. So there's, there's applications or like maybe like if you had a business and you had a business partner, maybe exactly. for some kind of transactions, both of you have to sign off on it. Exactly. If there's a certain tier of transactions of such dollar amount or more, then you both get an email and, you know, you've got to come together and say, hey, like, is this the transaction we want? Yes. And then you both use your private keys and you sign that one transaction. So multi-signature is just like a layer of security. And the wallet that uses it the most fluid, excuse me, is BitGo. BitGo? BitGo, yeah. Okay. And that's that's the best wallet for multi-sig, you said? Yeah, they do it the most fluidly. Coinbase has a vault, but it's mainly just for, like, slow money. So kind of just like a, like a safe deposit box or something yeah, like that? Yeah, pretty much. Just like that. Okay. Now with Coinbase and that that debit card I've seen you talk about, how does how does that work? Oh, okay. Well, if you go to um, shiftpayments.com/card um, and then log in with your Coinbase account and then agree to get the debit card, you're good to go. It costs ten dollars in Bitcoin, you're good to go. Now that's just linked to your Bitcoin account through Coinbase, uh, not your vault. But your regular Bitcoin account, whatever your main account is, because you tell Coinbase uh-huh. which which Bitcoin account you want to be your main one. 
And um, essentially, it's like you're spending your Bitcoin. So there's some stuff that does happen behind the scenes. Like essentially, you know, Shift is getting Bitcoin in turn paying your bill. But you're spending your Bitcoin and it's got Visa attached to it. So you can spend that anywhere. I, okay, now that's the part that I'm I'm kind of hung up on. And now I understand if, if, like, say I go to whatever website, Overstock, and they accept Bitcoin for something, I can use the that debit card to buy, purchase something in Bitcoin. But mm-hmm. when you say the Visa and you can use it anywhere, how does that part of it work? Like, so I that's can go the to part the grocery store like, and... So ultimately, the shift card is like strapping a bunch of horses to a Lamborghini, right? And pulling uh-huh. a Lamborghini. You're basically taking an old system and retrofitting it. You're taking a new system and retrofitting it to an old system. Uh-huh. And so Visa is the old system. Right. And the way that card would work is that when you swipe that card, Shift checks your Bitcoin balances, make sure you have it. Then Bitcoin is sent from Coinbase to Shift. Then Shift pays your bill for you in dollars. Right. And all that happens so, in micro in in you know fractions of a second behind the scenes. And you can use that anywhere to pay anything that accepts Visa. Anywhere that accepts Visa. Now Overstock actually takes Bitcoin directly. Right, right, right. Now, and I got that part of it. Bitcoin. Yeah. And so right, I got the part that if it takes Bitcoin, but the part that I was confused on that anywhere that accepts Visa. Which is everywhere. Right, right, right. So you can use your Bitcoin account anywhere that's somewhere like this costs $20 to buy something at the grocery store. I can just swipe it with my shift card and it'll take from my Bitcoin account on Coinbase. Yep. Wow. That's that's pretty cool. And you said it just costs $10 to buy it, to get the card? Ten dollars one time fee, and then you can spend your Bitcoin. Um, and it's that card is linked to whatever Coinbase account that I you tell it, it to go from. Yeah. Now there was wow. a post that I saw where you could have it like spend your Ether and spend your Litecoin, but I looked at the app recently and that doesn't seem to be an option. So I'm pretty sure you can only spend your Bitcoin right now. Yeah, see, I haven't even, I mean, I know about Ether and Litecoin, but I have no idea. Like, I'm still trying to figure out what Bitcoin is, and oh, okay. there's so much stuff. <laughs> like, I well, know I mean, about Ether, and obviously. You're always yeah, going to be beyond the eight ball. I don't know. It's just, it's a lot to take in, and I'm trying to I'm trying to stay relevant. You know, with the ICOs, I'm seeing all that, and like, I have a friend that I've been talking to Bitcoin about, and he um, sent me an email and said, oh, man, the China's banning Bitcoin when they banned the ICOs the other day. And I'm like, okay, I'm not sh- quite sure exactly what the ICOs are, but I know it's nothing to do with Bitcoin. <laughs> you know? Yeah, it's so this is a whole nother. So just going a little bit into Ether because I don't have on-ramping okay. for Ether because I'm not great at it. If you really want to on-ramping in Ether, you need to contact Mackie, uh, our other show, Block Channel. Right, right. Yeah, I've seen that show or listened to it. Essentially, Ether has this thing built into its code where you can run smart contracts. Really? So so if you think about it and distill it all the way down, Bitcoin is a network that says X amount of Bitcoin went to this from person A 
to person B. That's mm-hmm. it. That's all it's validating. Doesn't know who the people are. Doesn't care who the people are. Doesn't know how much Bitcoin it is. Well, it does know how much Bitcoin it is, but it doesn't care. It just says this amount of Bitcoin went from Alice to Bob. Uh-huh. That's it. Now, Ether adds another layer to it. Ether says this amount of Ether went from Alice to Bob if these conditions were met. Right? So it just adds those conditional things, right? And as soon as you add that condition, you now have a contract, right? Uh-huh. That's that's how all contracts work. This car belongs to you if you pay the monthly bill. And at the end, and upon the condition you make all of the payments, the car really belongs to you, right? Okay. That's That's a contract. Or like, this house belongs to you and the bank. <laughs> And then uh-huh. after you make all these payments, the house is just yours. And then the but, further condition, you pay the taxes and the house is really yours. But those are just contracts, right? So Ether has this smart contract. Sorry, you had a question? I think. No, no, go ahead. Keep going. So Ether has this contracting ability um, where you can, you can now build in a contract that this transaction not only is a transaction of gas for this stuff to run on the Ether network, this transaction to go through but it also is stating that i am creating all of these tokens within the ether universe without a you know better word to say that belong to these people contractually these addresses have this amount of this token okay and so you now have, you create these kind of like sub networks within the ether network and that's all and in is, order is to, that the alt is that the altcoins where well, they coming altcoins uh, is anything that's not bitcoin according to a bitcoiner and that's that's <laughs> it so the first one of the very first altcoins was litecoin and it was a guy named okay. Charlie Lee, Satoshi Light, everybody knows him, who was like, hey, Bitcoin's really slow. It just is. It's probably a good thing. Let's create one that's a little faster and a little lighter on the client. And we'll call it Litecoin. We're going to give it four times as many tokens. And we're going to cut the confirmation down by 75%. So Litecoin is Bitcoin. It's, it's just Bitcoin, but it's four times faster. That's oh. that's it. And so they called it so, an altcoin because. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, I mean, if it's Bitcoin but faster, why is it everyone want Litecoin then? Well, you just asked the you just asked the million dollar question, my friend, <laughs> which is why I own all of them, just in case. <laughs> Oh, okay, you so know, then I guess I have another question. What all is forks of Bitcoin? I know Litecoin is right, and there's another one, right? Oh, yeah. So, well, Litecoin isn't a fork of Bitcoin. Litecoin just took the source code, copied it, started a whole new thing. Bitcoin Cash is a fork of Bitcoin because different, like, it's kind of like, it goes into an open source project. Are you familiar with open source versus closed source? Yes. Yeah, so like Apple's closed source. Right. And then Android isn't. And right. Google tends to be open source. And so 
typically, if we're not talking about money and we're just talking about mm. a, a project and you're working on an open source project, you know, me and you could work on this patch and we really think it's the way to go forward. Like we're mm -hmm. working on Firefox and we find a patch and we're like, oh, this is going to make Firefox do the things that we think it should be doing. Mm -hmm. And then we go submit it to the community and they're like, yeah, but no, we don't want to do that. So then we say, mm -hmm. okay, well, we're just going to fork the code and we're going to keep working on this patch because we really think it's a big deal and it could turn into its whole different version of Firefox. Like, there you go. Boom. And then people start to use it. It's okay when it's just a program. When we're talking about money, it's kind of a different issue. Right? So that's all that's happened recently is that a large population was like, we're going to move forward with Bitcoin this way. And then a second large population of the population was like, but we don't want to do that. We want to move forward this way. And it just so happens that the only thing that decides which coin wins is the market. So what was the difference? What did like, I mean, um, um, Bitcoin Cash want that Bitcoin, other regular Bitcoin didn't want to do? Okay, so Bitcoin Cash just wants to increase the block size. And that's it. So a block size right now is capped with Bitcoin. A uh, block size is capped at one megabyte, mm -hmm. um, which really only allows about seven transactions per second to go through. Theoretically, pra in practic pra practically, wow, I couldn't get that word out. Practically, mm -hmm. it's like three to four transactions per second. Visa can do tens of thousands of transactions per second. So that's where we are with this stuff. <laughs> so, Way slower, okay. So uh, Bitcoin Cash's theory is like, oh, the quickest way to get more transactions per second is to put more transactions in a block, right? Because if you can get more transactions in a block and a block is going through every 10 minutes, then, yay, it makes perfect sense. We're going to get more transactions per second. That's great. Right. But it's messy. The greater Bitcoin community, as it seems, actually wanted like, hey, let's do this thing called SegWit where we kind of separate this huge chunk of data that isn't necessary for everyone to see on their blockchain. And we separate that and we only push through the vital stuff. So then that's a separate way to get more transactions through the door, but in an also more organized way. Okay. And so that's, now the, one, that's the one that's winning right now. That's the chain that's worth the most. And that's what I assume. And it also solved a really big problem. Uh, we had this problem called transaction malleability. Now, I don't know if it's for sure. I got to do my research. According to Bitcoin Cash, they recently patched it, and it does solve transaction malleability. But transaction malleability is a scary thing because essentially it means that I can send something, some money to you, and then I can later change the I, the transaction ID so it's so no one has no clue like where the transaction went, right? That's that's bad. If you can change the but transaction cause, ID. Because that's defeating the whole purpose of it being like a public ledger, yeah, right? Yeah, it, it definitely kind of defeats that purpose right there. Like, it's like, wait a second. You told me the transaction ID was this. I plugged it in to go look at the transaction, and it sent me something, something solely random. Like, I don't know what this is. And so... 
up until transaction malleability is fixed, it was kind of like a handshake handshake amongst everyone using the network. Like, hey, we know transaction malleability's thing. Just uh, don't do it. Just don't. And so, so SegWit fixed that on Bitcoin? SegWit fixed that. So you okay. can't change transaction IDs anymore. Transaction malleability is no longer a thing. Okay, so, so then... Go ahead. So, okay... Uh, I'm sorry to cut you off, but so SegWit took away that transaction malleability and you said it helped speed up the transactions because it got rid of all that unnecessary information in the blocks. Now, mm -hmm. how much faster is it now than it was before regular Bitcoin? Theoretically, it's going to be about one and a half to two times faster. So we go from seven to 14 or seven to 12, seven to 10 or 12 transactions per second. So we're still a long ways away from visa levels. Oh, yeah. And we're always going to be there until we come up with these second layer solutions. Now, SegWit also allows for these second layer solutions or what they call it. So uh, of like the history of like the Internet, per se, um, mm -hmm. there's the Internet protocol. But then after that, we had the, I think it's called Hypertext Transfer Protocol. I don't know. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm, I'm still learning all this stuff. Um, but HTTP IP is what allows for all of this cool shit, like Facebook, uh, Twitter, like all of the cool things didn't come until the layer of HTTP was added to IP. Okay. Right, because you can't physically pass that many communications through just IP, from what I understood. And now we've got this new layer called HTTP, where we can do all this cool packaging of data, and we can have 30 bajillion Facebook status updates a second, and we can have people upload video, and we can do all these really cool second layer things. Okay. So SegWit allows us to do stuff like that on Bitcoin. So think of Bitcoin as like IP. Think of SegWit as like HTTP. So now we can have the Lightning Network and we can have all these things because there isn't transaction malleability. And, and see, that's another word, the Lightning Network that I've been seeing and I have no idea what, what that is. Oh, okay. So the Lightning Network in a nutshell um, is kind of like opening payment channels. So what that means is that like me and you say we do business together. I'm a business and you're a supplier. And we know just about how much business we do in a month together, right? So we can say, okay, let's open a payment channel for this amount for the entire month. We know we're going to be doing up to this amount of revenue for the entire month. So let's open a payment channel for this amount. And we and I say, okay, worth 50 Bitcoin. I don't know. So now a transaction hits the Bitcoin network. That's like, okay, holy shit. That's a 50 Bitcoin transaction. Boom. Now we can do an infinite number of transactions inside of that 50 Bitcoin limit. Right? Mm -hmm. I could send money to you back and forth over and over and over again. Instantaneously verifiable on the Bitcoin blockchain. But it's happening over and over and over again. We're talking about infinite number of transactions per second. And then once mm -hmm. we close that payment channel, it closes out with the new balances 
of what took place between us. But since all these open payment channels are kind of interconnected to the Bitcoin blockchain, now what you actually create is an environment where a transaction can find the fastest route to the Bitcoin blockchain if it's using the Lightning Network, right? So now you have instantly verifiable transactions anywhere. The more payment channels that are open, the faster transactions can get verified. So now we go from seven transactions per second to millions of transactions per second faster than Visa, like thousands of times faster than Visa. Ho, 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 hold on. So, <laughs> yeah, I missed that. How, how did we got to that jump? How, so, what makes it go so much faster? So because of the Just Lightning be- Worker, if you're using your transactions on the Lightning Network, then your transaction is going to try and find the fastest route to getting verified. Okay. So if you have all of this, these uh, blockchains, essentially what they are, you can think about them as miniature blockchains within a blockchain. Okay. All of them spread around the globe. That's that's if the Lightning Network picks up with adoption, right? Mm-hmm all of them, then your transaction is going to get verified instantaneously as it finds the fastest route to the blockchain. So it's very similar and akin to BitTorrent, I believe. Might be getting outside my expertise, my, I say expertise with quotations because I'm an expert in nothing, (laughs) but uh, I do believe that if you've ever downloaded a torrent, the software works so that it tries to download the torrent as fast as possible. So it finds like the closest seeds to you. Are you, have you mm-hmm. ever downloaded a torrent? I uh, don't think so. Oh, okay. Maybe. So <laughs> this goes back down to my, uh, music pirate in days. Hopefully I was going to say, is this LimeWire and Napster? And yeah, all that? pretty that. much, pretty much. <laughs> so this goes back to my music pirate in days and, right. and then uh, movie pirating days is that, a torrent, they just say torrent because it's a big-ass file. That's it. Okay. Like a torrent yeah. is a big-ass wave, right? So torrent uh-huh. is a big file. But if you're going to have a big file and you download it for one spot, it's going to take a long time, right? Right. Take a really long time. So what if you take that really big file and you chunk it up into little tiny parts, little okay. bitty-bitty parts, and whoever has that file on their computer can then start to seed that file. Right, and so instead of the software asking one, one position in the network, the internet, like I need this file and it sends it from A to B, you're now saying I need this file and anyone around me that has it can seed little parts of the file to me all at the same time. So it's like, oh, hey network, sure. here's the recipe, and whoever has these part, these ingredients, send it to me as mm-hmm. fast as you can. Gotcha. So you take a two gigabyte file, which the way the internet used to work would take a very long time to download. And now it takes five minutes because all these people around you have that file and they have the data that you need. And they're all sending to you, sending it to you at the exact same time. Your computer is just putting together the puzzle correctly. Right. So everybody's just kind of sending little pieces of it. 
Yeah. And your computer's just batching it all together. Yeah. Your computer says, like, hey, here's the puzzle I'm trying to put together. All these other computers around you that are close to you are like, oh, yeah, we got that puzzle, too. Uh, well, here's copies of the pieces. Boom. There you go. And then your computer says, oh, I got all the pieces. Now I have the song. Or I got all the pieces. Now I have the movie. Got you. Got you. Now, so, I was going to ask you something with the um, back to the the whole Lightning Network thing. So you're saying it's like little sub blockchains. So like between me and you, if we had a payment channel, that'd be kind of like a our own little blockchain we have. Yeah. Like we can do an infinite number of transactions in there. And then as soon as we close it out, then the Bitcoin network would say like, oh, okay, well, now Alice, now I have this much money and he has that much money. Gotcha. But it could never but, exceed but, the but, amount that we open it for. But when do you have to close it? How long can it stay it open, open forever? a little payment channel? Okay, okay. It could be open forever. So what happens with the miners is they get paid in transaction fees, right? So now instead of them getting itty-bitty fees, they're getting huge Huge fees from huge transactions at a larger rate because it's going to be advantageous for businesses to open these huge payment channels, right? Uh huh. So they can just get transactions flowing through there. So it's definitely a different philosophy uh, how to scale. But okay. I, for one, agree with that scaling than opposed to like, and this is just personally, but. The other with Bitcoin Cash are like, well, let's just increasing the block size. Let's just keep increasing it. Well, you put a lot of burden on merchants and users and miners if you're going to just have this ginormous blockchain, right? Okay. The blockchain is already like I don't even know how many gigabytes it is, but it takes a really long time to sync, uh-huh. and that that's with being hooked up to lots of different seeds. It takes a long time to sync. Right. If you get the blockchain in its purest form, and then you start to ask yourself other questions like, who needs to see the blockchain in its purest form? Like, I don't need to care if someone in France bought a cake on the blockchain. I just don't care. I don't need to see that right. transaction. Right. So, you know, it's it's a learning process. <laughs> it's right. trying to figure out how to grow. Was the best route to grow. So okay, now that whole growing part. Now this is Bitcoin Core is the group of people who's like the developers. Yeah, that's that's one group of developers. They're just a bunch of guys that like to help build Bitcoin. And I don't know when everything got so like maniacal. That's what's frustrating. Is that all of a sudden like people are being looked at as villainous, uh-huh. and that's weird. Uh, but it's just a group of guys that like to make sure Bitcoin is growing well and is secure and they are like genius coders and they're developers. That's it. But how many people is Bitcoin core? And then like, are they the only ones developing Bitcoin or they're not the only ones? There's a lot. There's a nice team out in Cali working for purse.io shout out to Mackie and, um, JJ that are implementing Bitcoin, like there's all core is the most popular. There's all sorts of people developing on it, but core is the most popular. Um, yeah, I really don't know why it just is. It's, it's kind of one of those things. It's like, oh, those are the guys working on it the most and the hardest. 
well, obviously they're going to be the lead devs. So let's just make them the lead devs. That was kind of a, I don't know, it was kind of a natural thing the community just decided on. So, Right. But there's like, what, hundreds or thousands? What is it? People that contribute to Bitcoin. Thousands. Thousands. Oh, okay. Okay. Thousands. Okay. Yeah, because see, I didn't know if it was just like a small group that people were saying they're making decisions, which seems, you know, because like I've heard that, oh, it's only a small group of people deciding what Bitcoin is, and that goes against the whole decentralization thing, but if it's mm-hmm. thousands of people. No. Like, if I was good enough to code, I could go and help develop Bitcoin. Yeah. Like, I don't have to get no permission for anyone. You don't need permission at all. Gotcha. You can download the gotcha. source code gotcha. right after this interview and start tinkering. Yeah, well, <laughs> I wouldn't do that. But I mean, you can. It's just not like okay. now the network probably won't agree with your your tinkering once you submit it. The network would be like, yeah. So is that what happened with uh, Bitcoin Cash? <laughs> they were tinkering yeah, with those, it, and then the network didn't agree. They they forked off, and they're using two different codes. So those networks aren't agreeing with each other. Like the blocks aren't built the same. So, all right. Different rules now. Okay, now I have a, another question with um, uh, trading Bitcoin. Do you know about like like what's good like exchanges that you can use to trade? Um, I use Polo, Bitrex, Liquid. Polo, what I mean, so when I say Polo, I mean Poloniex, P-O-L-O-N-I-E-X. I use Bitrix, mm-hmm. B-I-T-T-R-E-X, Liquid, right. L-I-Q-U-I dot I-O. Uh-huh. Um, there's Kraken, like a Kraken. Uh, um, all right. There's Bitfinex, B-I-T-F-I-N-E-X. Um, we can't do the Chinese ones anymore. They stopped that, but... For a while, there was like OKCoin, Huibi, BTC, China, or BTCC. Uh, okay. There's so there's a bunch of different things. places. Yeah. Right. So Now, all these exchanges, I need to have Bitcoin first. I can't go in with dollars and you can, change to Bitcoin. But it, you got to do different layers of verification if you want to wire money. Okay. Because that's old so, money, and they need to know where that goes, right? So you got you to gotta wire money. Okay, so it's probably better to just do Coinbase, get BTC, then go to these exchanges. Mm-hmm. But now Coinbase does stuff now where they ask you where the money's going, and you don't have to answer it. But it does kind of let you know where things are going. Because Coinbase is the basically the, the leader in trying to, quote-unquote, play by the rules. Ah, uh, okay. So... They asked me a question the other day. I sent money to an exchange, and they were like, is this going to an exchange? And I was like, it's none of your damn business. So, <laughs> um, Yeah, like, they're trying. Um, right. Now, all these, all these exchanges, they have their own associated fees that are different, I'm guessing, right? Yep, they're all different. Okay. And they're so different, I don't even pay attention. Although I should. But I'm not like a ace trader, so I don't give a damn, really. Right. Um, right. Let's see. Um, you you said something that that was very interesting. I wanted to elaborate. Ah, oh, the exchange thing. 
Right. So many moons ago in 2014, we had an exchange go down. Mount Gox. Have you heard of that? Yep. Heard of that. Everybody's heard of that, right? He's the biggie. Um, Mm -hmm. And so that exchange going down is equivalent to like what just happened with Equifax, right? Equifax super hacked. And everyone... See, notice how no one is blaming the credit rating system for Equifax losing everyone's information. They're just blaming Equifax, right? Okay. So what happened with Bitcoin, because it's so new and people don't understand it, people were blaming Bitcoin for Mt. Gox's fuck-up. And that's, and, and that's not what happened. What, what was Mt. Gox's fuck-up? Like, how did they... Oh man, it's still going on. Like I wish, like there's gonna be a movie about it. Probably is oh, like really? there's like internal mess up. Like their infrastructure was very poor. People were s- stealing bitcoins. I think now it was proven that like uh, BTCE, which was an exchange based in Russia, was right. like tumbling the bitcoin for whoever stole it. So by tumbling, I mean like money laundering, like trying to right, wash right, the Bitcoin right. to make it look clean, but it was whoever s- stole it. There's also like FBI agents, I think, involved that were stealing Bitcoin as well. Like it's it was a cluster. But that's what happens when you have like centralization. Is that like, oh, by the way, eighty percent of Bitcoin was being exchanged on Mt. Gox at the time. So all of the liquidity in the entire ecosystem was at one spot. So, of course, you're going to have shady stuff. It's going to be shady acres going on there. Like, you can't keep track of what's going on. So now, my point is, is that since Mt. Gox, there are now, like, I don't know, seven to ten good exchanges in each country that is highly active in cryptocurrency trading. So, it's a more robust system. And when you have a more robust system... I'm sorry to interrupt, but how can you know these other exchanges won't get hacked the same way Mt. Gox did? Do business with the good ones. A lot of these, the exchanges that I recommended, they do audits and they do, um, well, Liquid doesn't. Um, Liquid does not do audits. Liquid's kind of shady acres, to tell you the truth. That's ICO okay. trading. It's it's shady acres. Uh, you okay. put it out there. Um, Poloniex, um, they're like the number one ether market, I believe. So, okay. and then Bitfinex actually keeps a public cold wallet address, so you can see um, their liquidity at all times. Okay. So you know if Shady Acres are going on because you can just look in their cold wallet address and say like, oh, like they don't have the money to be trading like they are and leveraging like they are. Uh, this is bad news bears. But they do. Gotcha. You can look there. And so that's a practice I, I think that most exchanges should adopt. I don't know if the other ones are, but they should. Because it's good to know like if the if this market is liquid. You know, right. that's that's a good thing to know. So um now do any of those um or solvent exchanges Sorry, you not liquid. Tell me a you listed the, all the exchanges you listed. Do any of those have like apps you could trade on your phone or do oh, you have to use it? Good question. 
Polo's got a pretty good mobile client. Uh-huh. So I use Polo DX's mobile client. It, it works really well. In fact, sometimes I prefer using it over the desktop client. Um, okay. I think Coinbase's GDAX as a mobile client as well. Oh, I forgot about GDAX. They trade Bitcoin too. That's Coindesk's market and Gemini. Okay. Damn, there's so many now. Gemini. <laughs> that's the Winklevoss twins, the Winklevi. And then oh, okay. um, Coinbase has GDAX. GDAX is getting a whole new suite of tools. So they sh- their, um, their solvency should increase. Um Yeah, traded's a whole other kid in caboodle. Uh, right, right. But uh, and I mean, I know I'm not like up to like a to be a professional trader or anything, but I just I'm trying to find just a way to you know get involved with the community and you know, try to get more Bitcoin. That's yeah, that's my whole goal. I'm just trying to get more Bitcoin. It's like what Pokemon? Got to catch them all or something like that. <laughs> but um, it's. Yeah, there's there's many exchanges. Just I just poke around which one you like, and there you go. Um, now, getting Bitcoin, interesting thing you tap on, uh-huh. tap into. Um, so you can get paid in Bitcoin through Bitwage, and there are companies Bit- now that pay in only crypto. But you gotta be, you know, it says a little bit something about your ideology if you're like, yeah, I'm gonna get paid in only crypto. So right, um, it's it's possible. So that's that's kind of the soft, but really strong advantage that the U.S. dollar has on Bitcoin and crypto because you get paid in dollars. So like your right. life naturally is modulated by dollars, right? You don't have to. You don't have to worry about converting. You don't have to worry about things because you get paid in the thing that you go to the store and the and the store takes. Right. You know, it's just a natural communication standard. But if you were paid, it's a natural communication standard. But if you were paid in Bitcoin, then you've got this now added layer of friction to your life where, you know, you got to convert the Bitcoin did I lose you? No, sorry. I just put okay. you on real quick. <laughs> I mean, you get it. Convert the Bitcoin and yada, yada, yada. So it's, there are ways to earn Bitcoin outside of just buying it. Of course, there's mining it, but I wouldn't suggest that. And yeah, that's one thing I was talking about. I've seen that it's where well, it takes millions of dollars pretty much now to have a mining thing set up. Yeah, it's 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 not it's not a poor man's game anymore. Right. <laughs> it used to be like hook up your CPU, let it ride, but that was it hasn't been like that since probably like 2010. So, ah, uh, okay. Now, what about mining other coins and trading them into Bitcoin? Yeah, that's something that I did, but even that gets bodied out pretty quick. Oh, really? Uh, yeah. It- it's profitable if you do it right, but 
you're staking your electricity costs, storage space. Your house is going to get really hot running all those video cards. Um, yeah. Litecoin has ASICs too now. So that's another thing that people sleep on Litecoin, but people sleep on silver too. So. Um, yeah, I see a lot of people comparing that Bitcoin to gold and Litecoin to silver. Yeah, it's a very fair comparison. And I compare Ether to oil. I know people in the Ethereum community uh, hate that I do that, but what the the Ether token is designed to run things. Like it's the right. oil, it's the fuel for running this global computer. So that Because the token it, itself doesn't do anything, right? No, Ether. the Ether token grants you it it's supposed to be used as as fuel to okay. push these decentralized applications onto a network so they can run Without needing a server, without needing a shit, without needing a server, they run right. on this global network of computers, right? So if your computer is running an Ethereum node, basically opening the wallet and having a wallet on there, blah blah blah. Right. If your computer's running that node, then it's participating in that network, and because that application had enough gas to push it through then that application is going to run globally, autonomously. You don't need servers. You just need to have a robust network, right? So it's like okay. um, very akin to – do you watch a show on HBO called uh, Silicon Valley? Nah, I've never seen it, no. Okay, never mind. I can't go down that road then. <laughs> but but um, essentially the more robust the Ethereum network is – easier and more realistically all these decentralized apps can run on it that's okay. the end game right so um so the ether token itself isn't supposed to be money right it's not okay but right. that's the funny thing about humanity is like we kind of rhyme with ourselves like oil isn't supposed to be money either but we do have this thing called the petrodollar where like countries pay for things with the petrodollar which is like gotcha. paying for things with oil it's weird like it's just it's weird how we repeat ourselves but so i equate ether to digital oil and i equate it as like the petrodollar of crypto i know that gotcha. may be a stupid thing to do but that just helps me understand it so right okay no that does make sense um but so but all of the other altcoins well not all of them but like all the ICOs and all that stuff it's off of the ether ethereum platform network right nothing else is off no of not the always network. no these ICOs are what are called ERC20 tokens which basically okay. means that they're fabricated under a certain protocol ERC20 so that they all can kind of communicate with each other Right, so it's kind of like establishing standards on the network. If I want to make a website, I have to make sure that that website follows all of the standards of the internet. Mm -hmm. Or it's just some program that I made that nobody can nobody can access. Right? Mm -hmm. So that's, that's essentially what ERC-20 is. is. It's like a protocol. And all these tokens that are using ERC-20 run on the ethereum network 
Okay, okay. But other altcoins don't. Like Zcash. Zcash is an altcoin that's not... It's its own blockchain. Right? Okay, so, gotcha. Yeah. Now, so, what about like Dash? Is that the same thing that has its own block? Yep, um, Dash has got its blockchain. own blockchain. I do believe ah. Dash is a fork of... I think Dash is a fork of Bitcoin. Okay. Or it might be a fork of Counterparty. This is getting old school now. Like there was a bunch of altcoins <laughs> back in like 2014 that were like Counterparty was one, uh, Next Coin was one, Dash I think is like a fork of Counterparty or something. I don't know. I'd have to do my research on those. I, f- I forget. So when we're talking forks off a of block off a of Bitcoin, does that mean these are just as secure as Bitcoin is? Uh, anything is only as secure as the hash power behind it, right? So the okay, the, the that. miners that are the miners that are mining or performing mm-hmm. hashes for Bitcoin right. are not the same miners performing hashes for Bitcoin Cash, or at least okay. not at the same time, because a lot of people are switching back and forth. Okay, but they're they're hashing different things, so so. I guess, like, for example, say Zcash is a fork of Bitcoin. Whoever's the number of miners mining Zcash is what makes it as secure as it is. Yeah, but Zcash isn't a fork of Bitcoin. It's a brand new, somebody made a brand new blockchain, different rules. Oh, that's right. Sorry. Brand new thing, different rules. These are the rules of Zcash, and this is how it works. Boom. And, uh, okay, because, like, I guess I'm just trying to figure out because where they said where Bitcoin is um, unhackable, correct? It's totally secure, right? Mm. But whereas like Ether has got hacked a couple times, correct? Okay, so Ether wasn't hacked. Ethereum Uh wasn't hacked per se. Someone just kind of like, let me see how I can put this. So what happened with Ethereum is that a contract was open on the Ethereum network called the DAO. Oh, right. It was a distributed autonomous organization. And everybody took their Ether and they poured it into the DAO because it was like the first time it was like, hey, I'm not an accredited quotation investor and I can invest in a company like an IPO. This is really cool. So everyone poured their money into this thing. But no, people really didn't do their diligence in how the actual DAO contract was built. So some savvy individual, what we'll call them, took advantage of that and then wrote a subcontract that basically issued all the ether that went into that contract to himself over and over and over again. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah, it was... It was, it was like some Superman 2 shit. So he just like <laughs> just issued all the ether to him over and over. And he got like 150 mil or something like he got. No, I think it was, it was like 52 million or something. I really don't remember. But he got a lot of money. And, okay, so it wasn't like the Ethereum code or whatever was hacked. Yeah. It wasn't that. Yeah, it was. Is 
it's um yeah essentially that's what happened yeah let's just call it what it is ethereum was hacked because it, it that's another problem like a lot of people have with ethereum is because there's so many attack vectors and once you start having contracts within contracts within contracts you know have attack vectors within attack vectors within attack vectors so is it kind of where I, like I've read somewhere they said like Bitcoin's code is kind of simple and yeah. Hello. It's simple and it's rigid. Oh, yeah. So that is correct. Bitcoin's code is kind of simple and it, that's why it can't be hacked. Cause it's, that's what, yeah, that's what makes it tougher to hack. And it's very rigid is it, because it's so simple. And like, if somebody were to go in there and try and change something like not one that the network would spit it out, but it'd be like easy to see. Right, 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 right. So, okay. Um, all right. Yeah. I mean, I know I've, I've, I've had you on here for a while, but I do have, like I said, I'm talking to my friends about it and like, you know, I got a bunch of friends. I'm like, Hey, I don't know what exactly it is, but I know Bitcoin is what we need to be looking at and getting. I don't know why. Well, I know why, but it's like how it's hard to explain to somebody what Bitcoin is for a person who doesn't know it themselves. You know, and I try to point them towards y'all's uh, YouTube podcast and um, not YouTube, but podcast and you know, and uh, it's just I, I don't know what <laughs> what advice do you give for giving helping someone understand Bitcoin. You know, like, where should I point? Where should I direct people? Because I've got random information from random sources all over the place. You know, like, but where's a good starting place I can point someone you, you point to learn to me. about Bitcoin? Point to me. <laughs> I'm getting better like at explaining this stuff. <laughs> hopefully. Uh, oh, yeah, there'd definitely be. I definitely only have so much bandwidth. But you point them to <laughs> exactly. our Slack. You okay. point them to, to us as a network. Like, we're growing as a network. And that's the right. point of us to grow as a network is so there could be someone across the board to answer questions across the board. And right. we're trying to we're trying to build this out in such a way that this can be a hub of information for people, a hub for people to come to get, you know, valid information and have a good time because there's generally some cool people in there. So Right, right, yeah. Um you know, come to us. We're and we'll point you in the right direction. Now well, there's only so much bandwidth obviously like but that's why we're trying to get more and more and more people in there um because the more you know the more you can share and so on and so forth it's just just gonna it's a power law it's gonna expand out so you know send them our way and the thing about us is that if we don't have the answer to the question we can point you straight to the answer to your question We've been gotcha. We've been in this system long enough to be able to do that. So right, right. You know, I'm not gonna come to us, and we'll point you in the right direction, or we'll answer your questions. So, okay. Now, this is another question. It's more to me personally. Like, I want to get involved in the community, but I don't know how I can fit into the community. You know what I mean? Like, um, how do you? How do you? Oh, that's a good question because this is something I'm struggling with personally as well. Um, mm-hmm. It's becoming an industry now. And what that means is that people from all walks and all professionals are needed. So mm-hmm. what, what is your, what's your Bruce Wayne job? 
<laughs> I do um, construction management. Construction management. Okay, yeah. so there's companies right now that are getting seeded a lot of money to grow, and they're probably going to need offices. They're probably going to need things built in the office. They're probably going to need stuff. That's what I'm saying is like it's an industry and it's growing and more and more money's pouring into it. So it's getting mm-hmm. to a point where like all walks of professionality are, are needed. Marketers, right. uh, accountants, lawyers, um, definitely coders. That's a given, but like it needs these things. Right. And so, you know, the fellows at purse.io just got a new office. And so it's, it's growing to that point and the only way to get involved is to stick in the forums but our mm, such bitcoin kind of sucks now but hold on what was that what uh, reddit.com slash oh, r slash bitcoin all the subreddits are kind of eh nowadays yeah i was on the reddit i was on that's where i like when i first started doing research i was on reddit and looking at stuff but it, it's like a lot of clutter but a lot of other stuff yes, you gotta sift of, through it's getting garbagey now uh, it's been uh, garbagey for a while but now it's to the point where you know I'm almost gonna totally ignore it but uh, let's see it's, it's LinkedIn I know Cello and Corey kind of revamped their LinkedIn's we're giving you guys nuggets like they revamped their LinkedIn's to kind of be attracted to that industry um but you know this is, linkedin's a good way of finding people um of course our community in the slack there's quite a few people that work in the industry already and you could ask them what's needed all right, all right. um But the best way, man, is to just ask around, see what people need, and see if you have the skill sets to fill that need. Um, right. And if you don't have the skill sets, like my good friend Dr. Petty reminds me on a weekly basis, is like if you really want to work in the industry, then you'd fashion your blade. You know what I mean? You'd sharpen that skill set, or at least learn a little bit about that skill set to get into the industry. Right, because I mean, and that's really the thing. Like, I don't want to get. I mean, I know this might be a little premature, but I don't want to get left behind when it takes a turn. You know what I mean? Like, exactly. I don't want to be stuck on the outside looking in. Like, hey, guys. So, yep. Learn how to code in parity. Learn how to code Bitcoin D. Like, these are one one thing that I'm really just. This is me speaking personally. One thing I'm bad about is like having the ability to code, but being too lazy to learn, and that's gonna bite me All in right. my ass. I'm like running out of time. To to act on that, you know what I mean. <laughs> like, okay. So, okay, so I was I was writing down what you said. You say learn how to code in what in parity. Parity. That's that's what Ethereum runs on. Um, apparently, okay. it's a really easy to learn language like Java. So okay. Um, like in high school, I took C plus plus. Yeah, like that. <laughs> we're we're quickly approaching the time <laughs> where not knowing how to code is going to be like frowned upon. Like, it's going to be, uh, you know, it's like, wow, you don't know how to code? That's like not knowing how to talk. Like, you've right. got to at least know some, the whole damn world is run on computers and you don't know how computers communicate. What's wrong with you? So like, Right, got you, got you. 
that's just life advice for anyone listening. But right. So you uh, said code and parity, and you said another one too. Parity Bitcoin D is oh, what Bitcoin, Bitcoin uses. Bcoin is the fancy JavaScript implementation coming out of purse.io from JJ. Um, Bcoin is pretty baller. From okay. that's an exact quote from Corey when he was talking about <laughs> it with Mackie. Um, yeah, so that's uh, the quickest okay. way. But of course, learning to code is like a it's a mountain to climb initially. So right, right. Um, let's see. Yeah, I think that's the quickest route, honestly, is just learning a little bit how to code. And the beauty of – here's kind of the, the crazy thing why I still kick myself in the ass is that learning to code is such an embracing community because the world needs so many coders. Like I think something – hundreds of thousands of jobs go unfilled a year just because people don't know how to code. And so it's like, if you're like, hey, I want to learn how to code. The world is like, okay, here's a bunch of free shit. Learn away. (laughs) So So I should hit up Petty and say, hey, I want to learn how to code. And Petty would probably be like, okay, here's a bunch of free shit. (laughs) Learn, learn how to code. And like, it's, it's, it's really, yeah. So, um, yeah. So to anyone listening to this, uh, the quickest route is learn how to code. And when you learn how to code, then start talking to the – come into our Slack and say, hey, I learned how to code. And we're going to say, cool, go here. And then you can get involved with the community. That sounds good, man. I appreciate um, this, man. I'm... Yeah. Well, I hope I helped out. And yeah. if, I, if I gave you misinformation, I'm sure the internet's going to let me know. That's the the coolest way to to figuring out the right answer to something is giving the wrong answer on the internet. Right, right. So, yeah, no, nah, it definitely helped out. I mean, like I said, I mean, by going back and listening to all your previous podcast episodes, I mean, I think there was like what thirteen or fourteen of them I listened to, and I mean, it really answers some of my general basic questions. You know, like Good. with the whole mining bitcoin how many are there what happens when we get to the end and you know just stuff like that like i really that was just basic <laughs> questions that i had that i'm sure everybody who comes into this has the same questions i'm glad so, glad i could help yeah i do no not i have no yeah. idea how many episodes i have i do what's called piggy bank living you just kind of like do stuff and then once you figure out you've got a bunch of it then you organize it so like just just put a bunch of coins in that jar and then when we need the jar let's go through and figure out how many quarters are in there so like i don't know there's like 12 episodes or something yeah something like a 12 13 something like that and they're not very long that's great so i appreciate it um hey well thanks for hanging out with me on a saturday afternoon and if you're listening to this uh yeah saturday afternoons are when i record these things and that's when i'm easily reachable so um. Other than that, can you do one thing for me, Mike? <laughs> What's that? Do you say play the outro? <laughs> play that outro.